at a time when change is constant and we are pulled in far too many directions. We need a way to stay present to life and to increase our ability to remain calm, think clearly, and maintain our well-being. Many studies indicate mindfulness improves our mental, emotional, and physical health. On a mindful moment with Teresa McKee, you can learn how to practice mindfulness and enjoy its many benefits. Tune in for guided meditations and to hear tips and advice from some of the most respected experts in the fields of mental health and mindfulness. The world truly can be a better place. It all starts with a mindful moment. I told her what I was reading and she said she hates reading. And I'm like, oh, I think you might have told the wrong person that. Okay, <laughs> we, <laughs> we will fix this. Sarah has a new mission. Hey readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 124. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on the show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Before we get to that guest, I want to read the sweet note I got from What Should I Read Next listener, Holly. And I just wanted to drop a note to say thanks for your wonderful podcast. I first discovered What Should I Read Next when I was on maternity leave with my little girl and sick to death of Netflix. I listened while I nursed her, rocked her, and changed her diaper again. I listened while we sat by the fire or took a stroll down our dirt road. I used the inspiration to carve out more reading time, start listening to audiobooks when my hands were full, and even get myself over to my local library. When I went back to work, I started using that two and a half hours of commuting every day to enjoy good audiobooks. Now I have a two-year-old and life is hectic. I sometimes have spells where I don't get to indulge in the latest episodes of What Should I Read Next? Then when I do hit play, I hear your voice and it brings me right back to those first amazing weeks of being a mama. Thanks for the reminder, both to read good books and to savor every moment of motherhood. Thank you so much for that, Holly. And readers, we love getting all your emails, messages, and comments. The easiest way to tell us about your What Should I Read Next moments is to just hit reply to our weekly newsletter. If you are not on the list, sign up today at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter. Today's episode is a festival of book recommendations for all ages. You might recognize children's lit enthusiast extraordinaire Sarah McKenzie from episode 49. That's from our Reading for a Lifetime series when she came on the show to help me recommend books to some truly adorable bookish kids. Today, we're doing more of the same, but I'm also going to recommend three books that Sarah herself can incorporate into her adult reading life when she's not running Read Aloud Revival or sharing books with her own kids. It's a lot of fun. Let's get to it. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Well, I'm so glad to have you back. So we have talked before on What Should I Read Next? Way back in our first year, you were episode 50-something in Kid Week. And we did this great thing where we played audio clips from kids asking for book recommendations. And we did some literary matchmaking on the fly, both of us. It was one of my favorites. It was so much fun. So much fun. But... I think it's ironic that we haven't talked on the show since then, because I seriously, I think I talked to you about books like three times a week. Yeah, at least I think. (laughs) (laughs) So it's good to have you back for the full What Should I Read Next treatment. And if my listeners don't know you already, I guess that means I don't actually talk about you all the ever loving time. Like I feel like I do because whenever somebody says like, Oh, you know, I've heard of reader loud revival, but I don't know what it is. Or is there anyone on the internet who does something similar for kids like you do for adults on modern Mrs. Darcy and what should I read next? I say, Oh yes, there is. (laughs) Go check out my friend, Sarah McKenzie at read aloud revival. So today I'm really excited to talk kids books because I have four kids and we have a lot of listeners who have kids. I can't resist the opportunity to quiz you about books for the children in all our lives, but I'm also really excited to talk about your reading as a grown-up. I'm excited too, because last time I really, I was dying to get some recommendations for you. And then we talked about kids books, which of course is awesome. But this time I was like, no, I want you to give me some recommendations because I read a lot of middle grade and YA. And so a lot of times when it comes to choosing books for myself that are outside of middle grade and YA, I don't even know where to start or I'm not really sure what to read next. So I think if there is one thing that unites us is that we are always up for a good book conversation. Okay. For people who aren't used to hanging out in your corner of the internet or Instagram or your member site, would you tell us a little bit about what Read Aloud Revival is? Because sometimes people hear that name and they go, what? (laughs) 
Yeah, it's basically a podcast and online community that is dedicated to helping parents make connections with their kids through books. So I feel like as parents today, especially we have all these demands on our time and attention and it can be really hard to connect with our kids, you know, have really good conversations and everyone's sort of doing their own thing, going a million miles an hour to all their activities, we're all of our own devices and it can be hard to make these really good, meaningful connections. And so reading aloud with our kids ends up being this really powerful opportunity to not just, you know, enrich all of our reading lives, but also to connect us with each other. So that's pretty much how it started. And we've got the podcast, which is called Read Aloud Revival, and then the website at readaloudrevival.com, where we have like book lists and articles and kind of helps for what to do if you have reluctant readers or kids who don't love reading or book recommendations for different ages and all that stuff. It ends up being not just about reading aloud, because once your reading life, and I know you know this, and once your reading life kind of takes off and gets some legs under it, it's kind of unstoppable. So we're all about books, kids, and basically helping that relationship between parents and kids. And we do it through books, which is, I don't know, really fun. (laughs) You know, you know, it's really fun. (laughs) I do know it's really fun. That's true. (laughs) So on Modern Mrs. Darcy, something that we always say is that when you talk about books, it's like a shortcut to talking about the things that really matter in life. Like you would never sit down with a, you know someone you don't know particularly well and say, can we talk about grief together? But if you read, let's say, the year of magical thinking together, all of a sudden you're talking about those things in a very natural way that like gets to the heart of what it really means to be human and what's really important in people's lives in a way that's very natural and meaningful and not weird. And that's something I love about books. And when I was reading your book, I love the story you told in the beginning of the book, how because you've read so much with your family, you all have this shorthand and all these inside jokes and how you have this common language from books and reading that let you talk about things that can be a little tricky sometimes in very natural, non-fraught ways. And it's because of your history together reading as a family. I just love that. And it wasn't really something that I consciously thought about before. Like I could read that and go, oh, we totally do that. But I didn't realize we did or that it was maybe unusual and how valuable that was. So I really enjoyed that story. Well, it gets more valuable too as your kids get older, right? Because as your kids get into their tweens and teens, sometimes those big topics that either you don't really want to talk about, but you know you should, or that are just maybe kind of uncomfortable or they're just not normal dinnertime conversation. Kind of like you're saying, you know, sit down with a stranger and ask them about grief. Even with our kids and especially our teenagers, it's not always natural to just start, you know, you don't want to sit across to them and say, okay, let's talk about the meaning of life, you know, but the <laughs> books actually like provide this gateway, make it really casual. And then I think what happens is you get into the habit of talking about big things together and that just being like a nor- or sometimes not big things They don't always have to be big, heavy topics, right? This normal experience of stories and discussion and talking about ideas and how they affect us or how they affect the characters, of the books or whatever, it ends up just sort of shaping the way you, you have our interactions with your tweens and teens, which is really helpful, especially as they get older and things get a little bit different. <laughs> yeah. I feel like books give you a way in. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, it's a lot of fun too. You mentioned that you have to establish a reading life before you can really enjoy these benefits. I'm thinking the same thing probably happens to you. Sometimes I get emails or comments that say like, oh my gosh, I'm so jealous of your kids or you, like you must never run out of things to read. I'm sure that it's never a problem. Like everyone is like skipping (laughs) off into the sunset with their backpacks full of books. (laughs) That's exactly what my kids are doing right now. Right now. (laughs) Yeah. And that's not the case. I love it because now I'm st- I feel like I'm starting to, you know, like over Christmas, I was reading The Vanderbeekers of 141st Street by Karina Young Glazer, which is one of my favorite new books. And as I was reading it, I was thinking of your daughter. And so I ended up snapping a picture and sending it to you. And you had already, she had received it as a gift, I think, right? From our old babysitter, this is a life tip for everyone listening. If a prospective babysitter introduces herself and says, you really need to know something about me. And it's that I love reading and always have, and I'm going to bring a bag of books into your house every week. And if you're okay with that, you probably shouldn't hire me. So if that person (laughs) enters into your life in any way, shape or form, grab her and do not let go. Exactly. So you cry bitter tears when she moves back up North. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) But yes, that was, that was a gift. She gave that to all the kids because she thought they may enjoy reading it aloud together as a family for my seven to 14 year old. 
So yeah. She so thought I it was one everybody reading. Kidding. I think, oh, I bet Anne's daughter would like this. You know, <laughs> that's it's fun. It's fun when you're reading things and you really like, start making connections. And I mean, I do it for my own kids and their friends, which sometimes they don't love. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you know, they're, they'll bring their friends over to jump on the trampoline. I'm like, so what are you reading lately? And the kids always love to talk to me about it. But my kids are like rolling their eyes like, oh, my gosh, their mom goes again. I'm like, sorry, I'm sorry. I won't go jump on the trampoline. That's funny. I try <laughs> really hard. Leave, though, I will have a suggestion for you. <laughs> I try really hard not to go there with my kids' friends unless my kids like bring their friend to me and say like, mom, Jane doesn't know what to read next. Can you help? But only when asked. Well, I feel this fire lit if they say, they, I asked them what they, you know, we were talking about books or whatever and, or we were talking about just what we did last week and she said she, and I told her what I was reading and she said she hates reading. And then I'm like, oh, I think you might've told the wrong person that. Okay, <laughs> we, <laughs> we will fix this. <laughs> Sarah has a new mission. All right. So are you ready to help me out once again with my seven-year-old? Absolutely. Sarah, he is my fourth child. I made it through three children in seven and a half years before he discovered Captain Underpants. And he thinks it is the funniest thing ever written next to <laughs> Dogman, which he really prefers. So he loves Dogman. He loves the bad guys. Okay. He loves the lunch lady books. Yep. So all these graphic novels. Which I am 100% fine with, but the series are only so long and they only take so long to read. So we, we need more. He really, really didn't want to read any Beverly Cleary books because he knows that his three older siblings love and adore those. But when my seventh grader grabbed, I think it was the original Henry Huggins off the shelf and started reading it out loud, he kind of came into the room, flopped on the carpet, like made himself comfortable and didn't get up. So <laughs> for like 45 pages. So there's that. But then when I read him Farmer Boy a couple weeks ago on a day when he was not feeling so good, you know, so he could cuddle up under the couch with a blanket with his mom. And I thought, this is totally the time to read Farmer Boy. There's so much food in there, which can make it a great book for kids, especially like my older son, he loves food. He loves to eat. Yeah. He loves Farmer yeah. Boy for all those descriptions of the pumpkin pie and the popcorn. And oh, he just loves it. Yeah. My youngest was just kind of bored. It's so much slower. I mean, it, the pacing is really important, especially for kids at that age, I think. You know, and if they're reading a lot of graphic novels, graphic novels move really fast. And so then when you're moving toward, you know, novels or longer narrative, I think it might work better to find some books that are paced a little bit quicker than Farmer Boy. He didn't see, I mean, he listened, he was attentive. And then when I was like, do you want to read more? He said, eh, not so, he just wasn't excited to go back. He also really loved the Who Is, Where Is, What Is series for about six months. He like read them all. And then he was satisfied and he doesn't want to read them anymore. But he does love like fact books about like space and planets and stuff like that. History, he likes history. He loved Ivy and Bean. But okay. so we need to find a good series where you don't always have to be deciding what to read next, but you can just kind of like click in and go. But also he's very conscious of being like the fourth kid in the family. And he does not just want to follow in the footsteps of what came before. And he doesn't want me to be like, oh, you're eight. Well, you're a bogle. So that means it's time for you to read whatever because your siblings did. Like he really- yeah, He wants he, his own reading identity. He totally does. Yeah. And that's going to be important too. Like I think for kids to have their own reading identity, especially when they have older siblings who are readers, they feel like they want to like blaze their own trail and they can't do that with the books that every time they sit down, their older sibling goes, oh my gosh, I loved that book. You know, it doesn't work that way. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yes, that has actually happened in my house. I bet it has. Yeah, it happens in my house too. Where the sibling will say, oh my gosh, I love that book. And you can see his face go like, well... <laughs> that was good while it lasted. <laughs> now I'm forced to move on. Yeah, exactly. Have you seen the Squish graphic novels? Okay, first, before we move off of gra graphic novels, because I don't think it'll probably work to take a kid who loves graphic novels and just hand them like, you know, all not graphic novels. You know, I should tell you, Anne, because Dr. Michael Green came to the Read Aloud Revival podcast not too long ago, was talking about all this brain science that shows that kids their brains are actually wired just more for images than for words. And so the reason that they're drawn to graphic novels is not actually because they're lazy, but because it's the way their brains actually, that's the way that they're made. And so we can pull them into books, but it's oftentimes a really good idea to do that through graphic novels, especially when they're just 
figuring out who they are as readers and just getting fluent. Because, you know, when you get go from like sounding out words to early readers to now they can read books on their own, it's not like now they can read anything on their own because pacing and the ease of reading has a lot to do with it. So so one of the graphic novels I wanted to mention was Squish, the Squish series. Have you seen this? I've never heard of the Squish series. These are by Jennifer and Matthew Holm. Wait, I know that name though. You do, because Jennifer Holm has won like Newbery honors for her other books. Um, She is a stellar author, which is why I love these. I love graphic novels by authors who have really proven themselves really awesome writers in other venues. So she wrote My Only May Amelia or Turtle in Paradise, won a Newbery honor Mm -hmm. a few years back. Mm -hmm. And she's got a bunch of graphic novels now, Baby Mouse. Is she sunny side up? Yeah, sunny side up. But she also has one, a series called Squish, and he's an amoeba. (laughs) <laughs> he's like, <laughs> he's like a, a, a shy, meek amoeba who idolizes this super amoeba and wants to be just like him and basically like navigates his, the bullies at school and things like that by sort of channeling <laughs> super amoeba. They're funny and they would totally appeal to a kid who's been reading, you know, like Captain Underpants and Dogman and that kind of stuff because they're really funny. But I love that Jennifer Holm is such a good writer. And so it kind of... I don't know, kind of elevates the graphic novel a little bit. I bet he'd really enjoy them. There's a bunch of them. I don't know how many now. Ooh, uh, that's music to my ears. And he loves funny. Okay. And then another graphic novel author and illustrator who I wouldn't pass up is Ben Hatke. Are you familiar with his stuff at all? I don't think so. Oh, yes. I'm so happy. (laughs) (laughs) There's There has to be like superb pleasure with like introducing Ann Bogle to something new. Okay. So the ones for young, a little bit younger kids, Little Robot is really funny. I think it's recommended for kids like six to nine or six to 10. So it's kind of like not quite middle grade, easing into that. But the main character in that one, she finds this little robot in the woods and then she accidentally activates him. And she doesn't realize that when she accidentally activates him, she's also inadvertently alerted all these big bad robots of where the little (laughs) robot is. And his illustrations are superb. I love his graphic novels. That one is mostly images with very little text. So he's going to fly through it. But then he can move on to the Mighty Jack series, which are basically graphic novels that are a play on Jack and the Beanstalk. And they're set in modern times. They kind of remind me of, you know, how like you told me about Melissa Mayer's Cinder, Mm -hmm. which is like Cinderella with (laughs) sci-fi. So think Jack and the Beanstalk in a graphic novel, modern adventure pacing is fantastic. And it will be the next step up as far as the amount of text and the storyline to follow. So those are all graphic novels I would be thrilled to hand to my kids without even second guessing it at all. But then one of the things you said was him wanting his own reading identity. I kind of wonder, do you guys do very many audiobooks? We used to all the time. We used to do them in the car or at night. And now everybody fights about it. Because they all have different reading tastes, right? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So I don't know. I mean, my son will listen to audiobooks when he's playing with his Legos. Like I put a little, I was going to say CD player, but actually stream Audible to it. So it's not really a CD player. Stereo. I don't know, whatever, whatever you'd call it, in where his Legos are. And has your son discovered Redwall yet? No. Is he too young? Second grade. He's no. Well, not for a read aloud. Not for it to be read aloud. Right. I don't think I would hand it to him to read on his own. It's going to be really overwhelming. But as a read aloud, no, he's perfect. And there's a gazillion of them and they're very fast paced action. But I don't think they're too overwhelming as far as content wise, you know, like the thrilling factor. I don't think that will be too much for a seven or eight year old. I'm pretty sure my son was seven, eight, nine when he listens to those. And they're kind of long and there's a lot of them and they're really well done. Those would be good for audio. Either you reading them aloud or doing audio. I always did them on audio because I didn't want to read them all out loud. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and what I've heard about those books is that, that they were basically made to be heard, not just read. I didn't know that, but that makes so much sense. His background, like what he did professionally, he really excelled at writing in such a way that you not just read it, but that you really felt like you were experiencing the story with all your senses. And for that reason, do it as a read aloud or as an audiobook. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense to me. When my son was listening to them, he was not reading well yet. He really struggled with, to learn to read. And so when he was seven, eight, nine, he was still struggling. And I would read aloud to him, but you know, you only have so much time to do that. So then him listening to these on audio ended up, I mean, he was voracious about it. He would look forward to our quiet reading hour every day because he would get to go play with his Legos and listen to Redwall. I mean, every few days he would come to me and say, I'm ready for the next one. And Audible has them all. So that was great. They're just 
yeah, they, I think they were part of what made him realize that reading was not just something you needed to do, but it was something that was like, gave him a hunger or a thirst for yeah. more of it. Cause the stories yeah. are so good. Okay. We will try that every so often. I'll start experimenting again with like, let me just turn on an audio book and see how it goes. Or like, here's mom's phone. You can listen to this for a bit. We'll see. We'll just keep trying. Yeah. And I mean, it's, there's like seasons of it, right? We listen to audiobooks in the car for a long time. And now we have a really big van <laughs> for all six of our kids. People in the middle can't hear. Anyway, <laughs> So the short story is we don't listen to audiobooks in the car as much anymore. And I have found that that's really changed the way, you know, how much we listen to audiobooks, especially when you have a wide age range of kids. Not everybody is interested in hearing the same things. And if he's trying to create his own reading identity, kind of wiggling around, trying to figure Mm -hmm. out who he is as a reader, Mm -hmm. he might not really want to listen to the same stuff as his siblings. You know, that's true. But one of my like favorite ever read aloud experiences was with this kid who I don't even remember why. I think he knew some of his siblings were really hesitant to read Harry Potter because they were afraid it would be scary. So in kindergarten, he's like, I'm not scared. Let's read this book together. But for reasons I do not remember, we ended up getting the audiobook on Audible and he was the only kid at this one school when he was in kindergarten. And every day when I drove him and picked him up, we'd listen in the carpool line. Carpool line is kind of a drag, you know? But it Mm -hmm. made it something we both really looked forward to. Like we get there early just so we could sit and get five more minutes. It was so sweet. Harry Potter read by Jim Dale. You can't beat that. But he was five (laughs) and then six. And then we got to Goblet of Fire. And he's like, you know what? I really enjoyed that. It wasn't too scary. But I'm done for a while. Redwall's not. I mean, it's as far as like scary factor, I don't think it's as intense. Mm-hmm. What about, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> what about The Green Ember? Have you heard that? Have you heard of that one? Yes, I've read that myself. I don't think the kids have. He is really, I don't know if reluctant is the wrong word. At this stage, at least, he's quicker to take to, feel, to fiction that's more realistic. So okay. I would love to okay. find something that was like his own personal non-sibling equivalent of like, Beverly Cleary or Ivy and Bean. I don't know if these would be to his reading level mm-hmm. or not. And these, maybe they'd be better on audio or as a read aloud if they were above his reading level. But have your other kids read much by Andrew Clements, like Frindle or Lunch Money or The Map Trap or any of those? No, I've seen his okay. name around for forever. I think that great story in the beginning of your book was about Frindle, but I don't believe my kids have ever read anything by him. Okay, so he has a gazillion books and they're short and they're really readable. They're quick, but they're realistic fiction. A lot of them are like school stories, like kids in school and they're funny and they're very quick paced. So those are all things going for them. You know how like when a a kid who's sort of still coming into their own as a reader opens a book and has a lot of words, it's like, oh no, this is too intimidating. (laughs) Yes, I do. (laughs) Okay. So they're not like that. (laughs) And so that's good. And they're, I would start with Frindle because I think that's the best one. A lot of my kids anyway, ended up going on and reading tons of his books. And if your other kids haven't read very many, that could be a good way for him to like, oh, look what I found. They're a little bit addictive. Andrew Clements is a really strong writer. The books aren't a series, so it's not like you need to read them in order Mm -hmm. because they're all about different kids in different situations. But we had them on Read Aloud Revival once and I realized, oh, you're actually a genius when I was talking (laughs) about This is why we love your books. I get it now. I think I'd start with Frindle. Um, No Talking is another one that's really funny. When we're talking about second grade boys and books, the words Mm -hmm. addictive and books together in the same sentence are definitely a strong selling point. Yeah always perfect. If when they finish one, you just happen to have another one laying around. You know, <laughs> I was going to mention that to you actually, because I know that like some kids do better if mom doesn't actually say, Hey, I think you'd like this. My kids usually take my recommendations fine, but I've got plenty of friends who like their kids, if they say you should read this, they immediately are not interested anymore. And so it can be really helpful just to have books that you've pretty much carefully selected, but they don't realize that. And you just happen to leave them around the house in places where they can discover them <laughs> and think that they're like, Hey mom, I found this great book. I don't you know, not really putting two and two together, but that is a hundred percent what we do. My kids will take my recommendations, but I never, ever offer them unasked. We will say sometimes I'll say like, so you finished that book and I haven't seen anything else in your hands. What's happening there? So then we'll start with like, could you ask your school librarian? Do you want to go to the bookstore or the library? (laughs) 
And sometimes from there, we'll come around to like, well, I don't know. What do you think I should read? Do we have anything around here? And then we'll start looking. But I would never come home with a book and place it in their hands. I might leave it on the coffee table. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's my second grader that I always feel hard up for. But I realized in getting ready to talk to you that my daughters like are kind of killing it these days. As far as reading is concerned, I have a fifth grader and a seventh grader. And I said this morning, like, hey, I'm going to talk to Sarah while you're at school. Like, do you want me to ask her anything for you? And they were like, no, are you kidding? I have more books than I can read. And it really made me realize how just over the last year or two, they really have, like you said, they've carved out their own reading identity. They know what they like. They know what they want to read. Their teachers push them a little in school to read things they otherwise wouldn't. Actually, I love my seventh graders teacher because Sarah came home at the beginning of the year, my Sarah, and was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we have to read one of these books. Like we have to read a dystopian novel and none of them look good. And we have to read a historical novel and none of them look good. And she has loved everything she's read for school. That is awesome. Even though none of them look good at the beginning. I'm like, oh, go teacher. I love you. Well, that's what happens, I think, too, at that age. They figure out what they like, which is awesome. And it also can lead them into a little bit of a reading rut where they think that that's the only thing they like or they just kind of get stuck there, you know, like just get stuck in fantasy or just get stuck in realistic contemporary fiction or whatever. So, well, my seventh graders curriculum, they get to choose one of three books on like six or seven different topics. So they're reading historical and they're reading a novel in verse and they're reading a fantasy novel and they're reading dystopian. And I love how like each selection, if they actually enjoy it and they have so far, knock on wood, opens up a whole new world of reading possibilities that they could find on their own. So good. That's a good teacher. I asked on Instagram on our account at what should I read next for the show if anyone was in need of reading recommendations for the kids in their lives. And what I have seen here, and oh my gosh, there are so many comments, Sarah, (laughs) is I see a lot of books my kids love which makes me really happy. Like lots of the mother-daughter book club series, lots Mm -hmm. of Little House, um, lots of Narnia and Peter Nimble and Roald Dahl, which my fifth grader just discovered this past year. Like he's always on the shelf at the bookstore in the library. And just this year, something made her pick him up, which I really liked. Yeah, but we have a lot of people who want to know what they should read next for their kids. So I thought it might be a good idea to see if we could put a few new books in the hands of a whole bunch of parents and kids. You want to do it? Totally want to do it. You know, I'm always game. All right. We're going to start with the read alouds. You ready? Yep, I'm ready. Okay. Ashley is asking for read alouds or audiobooks for kids who are three, six, and nine. Favorites they've enjoyed are the Little House series, E.B. White, and the Magic Tree House. Okay. Have you read this one, Anne? It's called Half Magic by Edward Eager. Yes, but not on audio, or we didn't read that aloud. It's a really fun read aloud because some books just do better with a broad age range. You know, they appeal to little kids and older kids without anyone feeling like this book is not really for me. And I think sometimes those big family books that have a wide range of siblings in them actually do that really well because there's a character for everybody Mm -hmm. to love most. So, but Half Magic is basically about these kids who stumble upon some magic where they basically can make a wish, but their wishes are granted by half. And so sort of misadventures ensue as they figure out how to make those wishes. And it's great read aloud. It's old, it's classic, but it's not like written in old classic language. It's timeless. I love that one. Yeah. Our local librarian recommended that to us when I was looking for mysteries and she said, oh, I only like the old stuff, kind of apologetically. (laughs) And my family was like, well, you have to tell us what it is. And we left with Edward Eager for the first time. Okay. That's awesome. Sarah, this is a request we got all the time. This specific kid is 10 in the fourth grade, loves graphic novels, but these three books appear over and over again in the comments, Land of Stories, Percy Jackson, and Harry Potter. What would you recommend for kids who love those series? Okay, one they might not have heard of yet is The Book Scavenger by Jennifer Chambliss Burtman. One of my daughters just absolutely fell into these and like didn't come up for days. She started creating her own, I can't remember what they're called, but like basically these own mysteries around books where you kind of send people on this treasure hunt. So if, if they like The Land of Stories and they like Harry Potter and they like, what was the other one you said? Percy Jackson? Yep. Okay, so they like this Fantastica element. Those are all really fast-paced books with characters that you absolutely adore. And the Book Scavenger series starts with one just called The Book Scavenger. And then she has a newer one called, oh, and I'm not going to remember it now, of course. Of course. The Book Scavenger and 
the Unbreakable Code. Um, that one just came out in 2017. I think there's going to be another one coming out in 2018. But they're mysteries. You have to figure out these ciphers. It's kind of like the Westing game in the, by Ellen Raskin in that you're trying to solve a mystery or decode. But there's also this sort of fantastical touch to them that really appeals to kids who love fantasy. So book scavenger series, I would highly recommend. And then another one is uh, the books by Jonathan Augsier, starting with Peter Nimble and his fantastic eyes mm-hmm. uh, really appeal to kids who love, you know, Harry Potter and Rick Riordan. And th- they're they're fast paced. There's a fantastical element and they're a little bit hard to put down once you start, which is always a good problem to have. OK, my heart goes out to this one. Ashley says she has an almost 10 year old in the third grade who loves to read but has been in a rut. So she loves Ramona and has read them over and over. She loves Little House. In a pinch, she'll pick up an old Junie B. Jones and they're casting about for something else. She doesn't like princess and she doesn't like high fantasy judy moody clementine have not been quite to her taste she's read them and has been a bit eh about them can you help Let's see i think i would go for the prairie thief by melissa wiley i don't know that one. Oh, awesome okay so unfortunately not a series it's just a standalone but i would describe it kind of rollicking like funny but um it's at that same reading level um as the other books you just mentioned so it's not going to be like a big fat book which can be really intimidating to kids at that age but basically it's a mystery about this girl whose father has been taken to jail for a crime he's been accused of thievery and she has to go live with the this awful family named the smirches which i think is that name says it all because basically that's exactly what you pictured when you heard the word smirch is exactly how this family is and so she's sort of <laughs> navigating this horrible family and this mystery and a little bit of um a fantastical element that pops up and and surprises everybody it's funny it's short it's really perfect for i would say mm, Kids about seven to 10. Fantastic. Okay. Almost nine-year-old boy, third grade, worships at the altar of Jeff Kinney and loves the Tom Gates series as well as Harry Potter and all things Roald Dahl. Bonus points if you can recommend something that also would work as a read aloud for this nine-year-old boy and his five-year-old brother. They say that David Williams and Roald Dahl work for both of them, but they've read every single one. Wow. Okay. Well, first of all, I think the recommendation for Andrew Clements books would probably work well here too. So like Frindle and School Story. But I also think, um, oh, it just popped into my head and popped out. Oh, Henry and the Chalk Dragon by Jennifer Trafton. Okay, so basically there it's about this boy named Henry Penwhistle and he draws this dragon with chalk on his floor. I mean, on his door, not on his floor. And then the the art basically that he created wants to be seen, even though Henry wants to keep it hidden. And so it's sort of him versus this chalk dragon. It's sort of, you know, if you like Roald Dahl, weird and funny at the same time. And that, that can go along <laughs> with a kid that age. <laughs> weird funny is always a hit with boys that age, I think. <laughs> I think you're right. Oh, okay. I like this description. I just noticed this comment is from Booked Up Blog from Alexandra, who was on the show. Okay, nine-year-old girl, grade four, but reads above her grade lover. Loved Wonder, the one and only Ivan, and all Beverly Cleary, not into sci-fi or fantasy. Would love more series or longer books so she can continue to be the top reader in the grade. <laughs> um, let's see. I think I would go with Pam Munoz Ryan's Esperanza Rising, maybe. Um, have you read that one, Anne? I have. That's a good choice. Yeah, she is, I think, maybe one of the best middle grade writers making work right now. I mean, her book Echo is fantastic. I haven't read that. It's, oh my goodness. You have to listen to it on audio. It's like an experience because it weaves together these three different stories all around a harmonica and there's music that plays at the right time. I can't even describe it. It's, I think it probably is the best audiobook experience I've ever had. Wow, that's high praise. Yeah, it's really good. Um, it's a little heavier, though. It's set during World War II. It's not like descriptive graphic World War II stuff, but I don't think I'd give it to a sensitive kid under 10. I think I might recommend that one for 10 and up. But Esperanza Rising and The Dreamer are both written by same author, Pam Munoz Ryan, and they're, there's no fantasy here. It's his, historical. It, it, this one feels a little more contemporary. Mm-hmm. I have a unique request for the next one. Okay. This reader owns a dance studio. Her competition team ranges from six to 18, all but one are female. They are shocked at how much she reads because almost none of them do. So she strongly believes that she's teaching them to dance, but also teaching them important life skills and 
believing in the power of reading is one of them. And she believes that they're not going to love reading until they find just the right book for them. So if you can think of anything for these age ranges, it's six to 18 that touches on dancing, teamwork, dedication, leadership, learning to work with others, humbleness, any of those qualities, it would be much appreciated. I'm going to channel Kathleen Kelly for a second. because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, isn't that what came to your mind first too? No, um, no. I was Noel thinking about Ramey Nightingale. Oh, what oh. were you thinking of? I was thinking Noel Streetfield, so I went back. But, you know, like Ballet Shoes, that whole series, Ramey Nightingale is a fantastic option. So talk about that one because I think that's perfect. Oh, it's such a sad book, though. Um, but they're 6 to 18. And so this would be for the kids on the younger end of the spectrum because I don't know if, like, a 16 to 18-year-old would pick this up. If they were 26 to 28, they totally would. But you know how high schoolers uh-huh. feel about reading about 12-year-olds. Yeah. But it's about a girl who I think wants to find her dad and – She's determined to do it by winning a baton twirling competition, I think. Is that right, Sarah? Yeah, I think that's right. It's been a little while since I've read it, but that sounds right. So basically she's got her like band of friends and they go out to conquer the world in this very specific way. And for the younger age range, I think probably eight, eight to 11 or 12, it could be a good choice. And it is sad, but I think that's okay. Well, it's sad, but it's Kate DiCamillo. And so she's sort of a master of writing sad books that always sort of leave you feeling like the breadth of emotion from sad Mm -hmm. to also overwhelmed Mm -hmm. with hope. So she does it really well. But yeah, it's not a cheerful book, but it will make you, it's, it's, Kate to Camillo. So. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I was and thinking I really... that the, the Shoes series by Noel yeah. Streetfield, but those would also be for on the younger end, um, probably, unless you have, you know, unless, you, yeah, I would guess that it's going to be on the, on the younger end. I'm trying to think. My 16-year-old would enjoy these, but I don't know that she's like the norm when it comes to what she's willing to read, if, even if it's younger, you know, yeah. geared for younger. Yeah. I'm not sure what to recommend for the older ones. I know. So also I think the mother-daughter book club for the younger end of the spectrum because it's about a band of friends and their moms. And, you know, they go, it's very realistic. They go through stuff and they read books. Yeah, exactly. And have fun doing both. And I know that, that we have some girls who are in competitive organizations in that book, but I think they might be like soccer, not dancing. Oh, you know what would be really good is the Misty Copeland biography, uh, Life in Motion. She's the first African-American dancer for the New York City Ballet. Um, Really interesting life story. And like from her part about growing up, um, not exactly rolling in the dough. And I think Southern California and all the way to like making the company and dancing with Prince, I think is my favorite chapter, how that came about and what that was like. So any, I mean, that book is written for adults, although it's been read by many, many dancers of all ages and young girls who really admire her. But there's also a young readers edition. So that could be read by almost anyone in that age range. I haven't even heard of this one, but now I'm looking at it and it looks really interesting. It's such a great autobiography. This one's for Jamie. Hi, Jamie. So her son is 12 in seventh grade, is a Harry Potter super fan, also really loves the genius files and story thieves. Also, he wants you to know he would be very interested if J.K. Rowling wrote a book in which Dolores Umbridge was the main villain. <laughs> because she is such a fantastic villain, really. Um, what about Fablehaven by Brandon Mole? Or really pretty much anything by Brandon Mole. So he's got the Fablehaven series. I have a 14 and 16-year-old who are major Harry Potter fans, and they've pretty much loved everything he's come out with. He's got a, a series called Five Kingdoms. There's another series that I'm Beyonders, the Beyonder series, and the Candy Shop Wars. So he's got all these different like sci-fi, or not sci-fi, they're fantasy adventure novels. And I've just read Fablehaven myself so far, but they're usually what I recommend to kids who are in that Harry Potter funk. You know what I mean? Like where they, <laughs> they're done with Harry Potter and now nothing else will do. You know, they're not the same as Harry Potter's, but they appeal to the same things in the reader that Harry Potter does, I think. Excellent. Okay, and we're going to go out on a really sweet note. The Sweet Petunia has a three-year-old boy who loves to read with her. They really enjoyed Lady Pancake and Sir French Toast, Make Way for Ducklings, Mr. Putter and Tabby, and Ben Hatkey's Nobody Loves a Goblin and Julia's Home for Lost Creatures. Oh, they have good taste. (laughs) She can't stand reading him, the easy readers that don't have much of a storyline. So what do you got? 
Okay, well, first, I just have to say, nobody likes a goblin, and Julia's House for Lost Creatures are some of my favorites, and I don't I don't think they're as popular as they should be. So you have fantastic taste. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I would recommend Southern Silly Eaters by Marianne Hoberman, which is probably my all-time favorite picture book. It's funny. It's got gr- a great storyline. Um, it's very easy to read aloud because it's rhythmic. It's actually in rhyme, which can either go disastrously <laughs> or be done really, really well. And in this case, it's done really, really well. And then any of the books by Tommy DePaola about Strega Nona. If you look up Tommy DePaola, D-E-P-A-O-L-A, you'll find all of his Strega Nona books. And those ones are books that you could read over and over again without getting tired of them. And that's really important when you're reading picture books <laughs> over and over with a small child. It's like you've done this before. <laughs> a few times. <laughs> all right. Sarah, thank you for playing Literary Matchmaker today. Oh, that was so fun. Okay. Are you ready to move on and talk about your personal reading life? Yes. Okay. So you read middle grade like it's your job because it kind of (laughs) is. What do you read on your own time? Which is your own time. You know, it gets a little fuzzy when you do books for a living, but you know what I'm getting at, right? It does get a little fuzzy. Yeah. And the thing is, oftentimes I would choose middle grade anyway, even if I wasn't reading it for a list or for, you know, to give recommendations. Um, I would choose middle grade a lot of the time. Sometimes when people say, what do you read for fun? I look at them kind of strange. Like, well, I mean... (laughs) middle grade. (laughs) Every once in a while, of course, I want a little break. And when I was writing The Read Aloud Family, I was reading copious amount, way more than I normally do, because there are about 400 book recommendations in there. And I wanted to read every book we mentioned in the book front to back to make sure it was worth mentioning, worth people taking their time to read. So I feel like the last year has been all middle grade and YA all the time. And I haven't read a lot of other things that allow me to turn my, you know, recommending or book list brain off. But I love, there's a few books that I've really loved in the not too distant past. So I I don't know where to go next. And you're the person everybody asks when they don't know where to turn next. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Sarah. So this is just you on your own time for your own purposes. What's your first favorite? Okay, I think The Forgotten Garden by Kate Morton. Uh-huh. I could not put that book down. I could not put it down. I've read her other books too, but The Forgotten Garden has always, I don't know if it's because it's the first book by Kate Morton that I read, but it's always remained my favorite. I don't know if it's the suspense, if it's, mm-hmm. I listened to them on, no, I didn't listen to that on audio. I have listened to some of hers on audio and I love, I love the English accent. Or the, <laughs> oh my gosh. I just, I could listen to those forever. I just loved it. Have you read all of her books or some of her books or are you a Kate Morton fan? I guess I didn't, I don't know that about you. I am a Kate Morton fan and I have read all her books. Okay. And I debated back and forth between this and The Secret Keeper being my favorite. I think it might be The Secret Keeper though. But then I read The Lake House, her newest one. And I thought, well, I don't know. I really like that one too. But I hear you on The Forgotten Garden. It's near the top for me. Yeah. And I think it's possible that just because that was the first, my first introduction to Kate Morton, that that remains the one, you know, it's kind of like Matilda's my favorite role doll, probably (laughs) just because it was my first. (laughs) Okay. So, and if you've never read Kate Morton, historical mysteries, plots that go back and forth between the present day, although they're never the cell phone era, it's like 2006 or so is when they're set in the present day. And I wonder like, is that, that must be a conscious choice and that go back in time, usually to like pre-World War or right around and she's always got some kind of twisty twist near the end really substantial mysteries that are hard to put down and I like them on audio but they can be a little hard to follow on audio because she does so much of that going back and forth Mm, um, mm -hmm. inside that can be a little hard to follow if you're not careful yeah and sometimes I like to flip to be like wait what who's this person again what's going on if you only see the characters every other chapter (laughs) exactly what year are we at now yeah 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 so good narrow to drive can't put it down substantial historical fiction. All right. What, what's your next favorite? Major Pettigrew's Last Stand was... Oh, I really like that one. I don't remember why I picked it up or who recommended it to me, but I loved this book. I loved Major Pettigrew. I mean, I just adored him. And then, I don't know, something about like an English village maybe <laughs> and tea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember reading this one on a plane and feeling like it was one of the fastest flights I'd ever had. And it wasn't actually a fast flight. Oh, such a good sign. Yeah. Yeah. This is not a new book, but I just read it a couple of years ago. So I like books about unlikely friendship. And this is a good one on that note. Uh, Yeah. He befriends a Pakistani woman who owns the local grocery, deli, something like that. The details aren't important here, but I think they're both grieving the loss of their spouses. 
And so they strike up this unlikely friendship and society does not approve. Right. So I think that was a debut by Helen Simonson. And that novel has, I didn't even realize this till I read reviews after I read it, but it has a very formal, traditional three-part structure. So I find it interesting that you're drawn to that. Interesting. Because it seems fitting to me. Yeah, it kind of does, doesn't it? No, I know she has a newer book, The Summer Before the War, right? Yeah. And I have it, but I haven't read it yet. I've read like 60 <laughs> pages of it. Yeah, I I did the same thing. I, I intend to get back there and I'm sure I will someday, but I haven't yet. Well, I remember I saw it at an indie bookstore um, in Greenville, South Carolina, and it's- the, <gasps> I've heard that little... indie bookstore is so good. It is so good. Jay Hudson. It's Jay Hudson. Yes. And there was like a little card in front of it that said for fa- fans of Downton Abbey. And I was like, Okay. (laughs) That's all it took. But I didn't read. I haven't read it yet. So, you know, okay, here is the downside to reading a lot of middle grade fiction. Regular size novels almost intimidate you because you you fall back into that thing that I was talking about that kids do where you're like, wow, there's so many words. (laughs) This is going to take a while. (laughs) Sarah, what's your next favorite? The Awakening of Miss Prim. I have not read this one. Okay. I loved this book. So basically the main character, she is going to this remote French village to work as the librarian for a family, for a man. Her name is Prudentia Prim, right? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so it's a little unusual, not in that it's like fantastical or something. It's just that it's remote and they're, it's almost like a, they're a world unto themselves. And they have sort of a, I don't know, suspicion of the modern world or something. Prudentia, which I think is just the best name ever. This is the main character. She like comes to the village and she ends up finding herself in this sort of old world villagey type. There's lots of tea. There's lots of scones. There's there's lots of um, drama between the people in the village. And it's not a fast moving book at all. It's like a very character driven book. I think it was really, it was really enjoyable to read. I w- it was one of those books where you really hope that she's going to come up with a sequel so that you can go back to those characters and hang out with them a little bit longer. I love books like that. I guess tea is a theme. <laughs> is that tea a theme? Tea and books. Tea and books. You know, sometimes it's okay to be a cliche. <laughs> Seriously. I might want to trade you out for coffee, but yeah, I'd be good with that. Yeah, exactly. All right, Sarah, what's a book you're not crazy about? Okay, I read The Night Circus a few years ago. And usually if I'm reading a book that I don't enjoy, I just ditch it because I figure there's so many books, there's not enough time to read. So I'm going to, I'm going to just spend my time reading things that I absolutely love or that draw me in. But that one, I had heard so many people say they loved that I thought, I'm just not getting it. I better stick with this longer because I'm just not getting it for some reason. And I finished the book and I still didn't get it. I still didn't get what the draw was. I thought it was weird. I felt like I didn't ever know what was going to happen next. So I kind of felt disoriented the whole time. I guess I enjoy fantasy in middle grade, but maybe I don't enjoy fantasy in a I don't know. I'm not really sure what I didn't love about it, but I could have done without that reading experience. Did you read it yourself or did you let Jim Dale read it to you? I read it myself. Jim Dale reads that book? Yeah. Oh, I did not know this. Yeah. That's my problem, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Because Jim Dale can fix a lot of things if he reads them to you. (laughs) Something in you knew that you were missing out. Uh, Yeah. I really enjoyed that. But yeah, I did it on audio. I just let Jim Dale do the heavy lifting. I don't actually remember what else was going on in my life at the time I read that. But there's a part of me that wonders about the books that we just sort of assume that we didn't didn't resonate with us, not realizing that maybe it was something that was happening in our life at the same time. Do you know what I mean? Or something where we just weren't in the right space to read that particular book or you know, if I was on a Kate Morton kick and then tried to read The Night Circus, that's like a whole different thing. You know what I mean? So <laughs> they're, it's they're entirely both British. possible. <laughs> um, Let's see if we can draw some similarities. Ish. Yeah. 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 No, I completely agree though that if you're not in the right headspace, then a wonderful, wonderful book that you might like in a different year or a different season or a different zip code is just not going to land for you. Exactly. Because you could read it and then think this is not for me and then read it again 10 years later and and think it's one of the best books you've ever read, right? Yeah, I think so. Or vice versa, sadly. I don't know why that makes me sad, but it does. Especially if it was a book that you loved as a child and then you go back and read it again and think, huh. Huh. Yeah, that hurts. That hurts a lot. Sarah, are you reading anything right now for you that's not middle grade? I mean, it could be middle grade, but... Okay, I am reading middle grade right now, but... (laughs) What is it? Um, What are you reading? I'm reading The False Prince by Jennifer Nielsen. I don't know that one. Oh my gosh. Okay. I don't remember who recommended it to me, which kind of kills me, but I bought it because it was recommended so highly. And then my 14 year old read it and said, this is one of the funniest 
best books I've ever read. And so it's been sitting on my to read stack forever. And I finally started it. And it is a page turner. It's basically puts this main character, this boy who I think he's about 14. He's an orphan. At the very beginning of the book, this man comes and basically buys him as more or less an indentured servant out of the orphanage. And he realizes that, yeah, I don't want to give anything away. So he's basically (laughs) put into a really uncomfortable situation where he has to figure out if he would rather lie or he would rather die. very suspenseful. But anyways, for my re- most recent, not middle grade, not YA book that I read, I was introduced, this is embarrassing to even say out loud because I should have been introduced long ago, to Ann Patchett. And I started with Run and I adored it. I read that a couple months ago. And then I read, this is the story of a happy marriage, mm-hmm. her collection of essays, mm-hmm. and I adored it. And then I tried to read Belcanto and I didn't like it nearly as much. <gasps> That's good to know. The tone's totally different, I think. Yeah. I thought this is supposed to be like her most, I don't know, celebrated work, or at least that's the impression I got. So yeah. I thought, what's wrong with me? Why do I like her other stuff? And I'm not, I ended up ditching it, Anne. I didn't even finish it. How far did you get? Mm, at least halfway. I realized I didn't care. I didn't like the characters. So I didn't care what happened to them. <laughs> I hope she doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> but you liked, you liked the characters in Run. I loved the characters in Run. I loved them, all of them. I can totally see not liking the characters in Bel Canto. I thought they were selfish. Yeah, I can totally see that. Mm-hmm. And very detached, all of them. Yes. I guess I didn't feel like anyone loved each other enough to do what was in the best interest of anyone else. So it just felt like everyone out for themselves. And I don't know. I guess that's, I don't know if that's totally fair. But in Run, there are characters who are selfish, but they have other endearing qualities that yeah. make you, or or things that have happened to them that you get the backstory on. So then you feel like you understand them. And Bel Canto, I just didn't like anybody. And then I felt like when I got to the halfway point, I thought, I don't even care what happens to you all. <laughs> you know, you totally could have just described the Night Circus too, because those characters characters are very interesting. And I think at a certain point, you really want it to work out because of what the two main characters are up against. But it's not like, oh, my sweet darling, I hope nothing bad ever happens to you because I'm so emotionally invested in your health and well-being. It's not like that. Yeah, I think you're right. I would say that about the Night Circus. I didn't like the characters, so I didn't care what happened to them. And so at that point, I mean, if you don't care what happens to the main characters, it's really hard to keep reading. For you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sarah, have you read The Story Life of A.J. Fickery? No, I have not. I've seen it. I think I've heard you talk about it, maybe. Yeah, I'm sure you have, because it's a book about a bookseller. I think you might feel like your life was enriched if you put this on your list and read it. And interestingly, it's by Gabrielle Zevin, who wrote a whole lot of middle grade YA before she started writing for adults. So The Story Life of A.J. Fickery is her first adult novel. You all have that in common, I think. So this is a book about a bookseller on this remote little island off the coast of New England someplace. Business is not necessarily fantastic. And at a certain point, a new sales rep from a big city publishing company comes to visit between his new rep and a baby that gets mysteriously abandoned on the doorstep of the bookstore. His life is totally turned upside down. So I think a way that people go wrong with this book is they pick it up and they think it's going to be 100% pure, heartwarming, sappy goodness. There is like 65% of that, but this is not an unrelentingly sunny book. So you have to be in that space. If you love Kate DiCamillo, then you can love the storied life of AJ Fickery. Okay, awesome. I just want you to frame your expectations accordingly. It's just so fun for readers because it's in a bookstore and there's the publishing sales rep. And so there's a little bit of like insidery kind of stuff that readers enjoy. And every chapter opens with a quote from a book. Books themselves are really important in the plot. And if you don't add like 15 titles to your to be read list, because those books, uh, some of which are more obscure than others, like they talk about Flannery O'Connor, but I also remember adding like maybe a Raymond Chandler short story collection to my list. And another author who was a little more obscure to me that I don't remember ever hearing of before. Like if you don't add to your to be read list when you're reading this book, I would be so, so surprised because there's just so many books through it. And because these characters are talking about how these books are so important in their lives, you think, well, I want to read it. If it's so important in your life and changes the way you think about the world, I want to read that too. Those are my favorite. I love books that make you want to go read other books that the characters mention or talk about or are reading or like, oh, I have to go read that again. Or 
I've never heard of that, but now I have to. I have to go read that. In fact, my 14-year-old, I think half of her reading list comes from the books that she hears about in other books. (laughs) I love that. That's just, this sounds awesome. Okay. Okay, excellent. It's probably a good sign that I'm a little surprised you haven't read that yet. Okay, yeah, that is a good sign. That's a great sign. Okay, so for book two, I'm thinking of something British, which you're comfortable with. (laughs) This is not a read-alike for Major Pettigrew's Last Stand or The Awakening of Miss Prim by any means, but I feel like the tone is similar, although this is a little bit quirkier. So it's called The Keeper of Lost Things. It's by Ruth Hogan. Do you know anything about it? No, I've not heard of it. Okay. This came out about a year ago. It has a beautiful cover and it kind of reminds me of the most recent Jojo Moyes book in a couple of ways, just because you have a British 20-something woman who has left a really terrible man that she married when she was young and innocent and a little bit foolish. So this is a story (laughs) of unlikely friends. So we have a 20-something woman named Laura who has just left a bad domestic situation. And she is now under the employ of an elderly man who has this quirky kind of personal mission he's taken on. And that is that he collects things that people have lost and attempts to reunite them with their owners. So when he dies, he bequeaths her this duty to fulfill, to reunite people with the things they have lost because he feels like they must be important to them. So this story, like Kate Morton, also goes back and forth in time. So you have Laura and her employer, Anthony, in the present day. But It's not immediately clear for a really long time how these stories interconnect, but you're also flipping back in time to a woman about maybe 50 years before who works in publishing, another unlikely friendship, and she's got her own personal comedy tragedy going. And so you go back and forth to, I think it's Eunice, to Eunice's time and Laura's time. And eventually the story comes together. And if you can't go with a ghostly element without totally rolling your eyes, don't pick this up. (laughs) But it's a a sweet kind of story, a little bit of a mystery. Um, If you liked the tone of Major Pettigrew's Last Stand, then I think you could enjoy this book as well. This sounds fantastic. All right. So for book three, I'm debating between something that feels awfully similar to what I just recommended to you and a newer YA novel. What do you think? Um, newer YA. Give me that one. Okay. Robin Benway, Far From the Tree. I have not even heard of it. Well, it just came out in October. What I like about it for you is it's a page turner. It's a sibling story. Actually, it's a sibling story on a couple different levels. This is definitely for older teens, I think, like maybe maybe eighth or ninth grade, or you know, it could be for grown-ups too, like yourself. This is the story of three siblings who don't know, I think some of them don't even know they have siblings until they're teenagers. They share a birth mother who put them all up for adoption at different times. And when they are in high school, 15 to 18 or thereabouts, they find each other and they meet for the first time and they start figuring out this sibling relationship. Maya has a sibling herself and that relationship is a little on the rocks right now. Grace has always thought she was an only child and Joaquin has been in and out of various foster care placements his entire life. He's 18 and he has never been adopted. All these kids are facing a crisis in their own personal life right now. And then they find each other for the first time. And it's a really interesting sibling story. It's told from multiple points of view. It's about a topic that I haven't read a lot, or at least not handled this well in fiction. It has everything going for it that a good YA book does, mostly for you that you really don't want to put it down. It's not super long. You could totally read this in an afternoon. This sounds awesome. I've not even heard of it, but this sounds fantastic. Ooh, it's, I'm looking at the cover right now because I still have it like in, on my office table. It's a National Book Award winner that went right over my head. Oh, okay. Because as you were saying that, I'm like, wait, have I heard about this before? All right. Of those three books, what do you think you'll read next? Oh, they all sound good. But I think the one that I am most excited to read is The Storied Life of A.J. Victory. So I think I will probably check that one out first. That makes me happy. If I got to pick for you, that is absolutely the one I would choose. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to hear what you think. Thank you so much for talking all kinds of books with me today. Oh, it was so fun. I knew it would be. Thanks for having me on. Hey, readers. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Sarah today. Head to the podcast site to share your recommendations for Sarah and let her know there what you thought of my recommendations. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 124. That's 124. And it's where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. 
and definitely connect with Sarah and her wonderful Read Aloud Revival. Find her on Instagram and Facebook at Read Aloud Revival and find her online at readaloudrevival.com and definitely pick up a copy of Sarah's new book, The Read Aloud Family. It's all about making meaningful connections with your kids through books and it's available March 27th wherever new books are sold. In next week's episode, I sit down for some bibliotherapy with a regular reader who describes herself as an Enneagram 7 Wing 8 and an ENFP. With the help of personality theory and some good books, we'll be trying to refocus and deepen her reading life. Here's a sneak peek. And so I do find myself chasing some kind of experience I'm wanting to have when I am reading. But when I look at other readers, I feel like they're just really smart, intelligent, thoughtful people who are really well-versed in a ton of subjects. Whether or not that's true about all natural readers, that is what I want to be. Is it fair to say you're a person who wants the skill of choosing books you'll really enjoy for yourself when you want to read them? Yes. So that's part of it. And then the other part, if I'm really honest, is I want to be really interesting. (laughs) (laughs) So so I want to be the person at the party who is like, oh, yeah, did you read about blah, blah, blah. I'm interested in a ton of things. I tend to go like five miles wide and an inch deep in all of those things. Some of it's that I want to experience something and some of it's that I want to accumulate knowledge. That's coming next Tuesday. Make sure you are subscribed on your podcast app of choice so you never miss an episode. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Vogel. That is Anne with an E, B is in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Anne Bogle and at What Should I Read Next. Our newsletter subscribers are the first to hear about the good stuff coming your way in 2018. Make sure you are on the list so you stay in the know. Sign up at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter. Thanks to the people who make this show happen. What Should I Read Next is produced by Brenna Frederick with sound design by Kellen Pekachek. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.